In your worship folder is an outline. It's actually not an outline today. It's just the verses. I, not everybody uh, brings a Bible. Not everybody has a Bible. So this is kind of like your notice, your Miranda rights. If you don't have a Bible, you need to see us because one can be appointed for you. <laughs> we, ha- we have those available. So we're in a series, and it's, um, what's the big deal about church? And I know if you haven't asked that question, I'm sure you know somebody who has asked that question. What's the big deal? And I don't know um, what comes to mind when you hear the word church. I have a feeling that the odds are it's a far cry from what the first century people thought when they heard the word church. Because they didn't think buildings or banners or Bibles or books or pews or robes or hymnals or, or liturgy or anything like that. The church began as a movement. See, it didn't begin as a building. I have people that ask me, can I see your church? And I'm here. And they come in, can I see your church? And I say, I'm sorry, this isn't a church. And they look at me like, what? Aren't you a pastor? Yeah, isn't this a church? No, the church isn't here. They'll be here Sunday. (laughs) But this is just a building. You see, the church didn't begin as a building. It began as a movement fueled by an event. And that was the resurrection of Jesus. And this is important. It was led by eyewitnesses. People who saw what happened, and it got big fast. That's what we talked about in week one of this series. A big start. You know, opening day, when the church began, 3,000 people believed in Jesus and joined. Two weeks later, it says there was over 5,000 men. And I'm assuming they're just counting men at that point. And we're we're looking at the church is now over 10% of the population of the entire city within weeks. And if you remember, we're talking 2,000 years ago. And in the Middle East, you had the Roman Empire that had its, its hands and grip in that. But they also had their religious leaders and their, their religious government. And there was this very tenuous balance. And they didn't want to upset them. And they didn't want to upset them. And it was very difficult. And when this many people started claiming who Jesus was, there was resistance because it upset the status quo. It was not making things easy for those in charge and in response to resistance that could negatively affect your livelihood, your reputation, even their lives. Those early Christians prayed. And we looked last week at the first recorded prayer of the church in Acts. And they prayed after having some of their people arrested, having them threatened. They prayed not for protection. Not for the resistance to go away. They prayed for boldness. And we looked at big prayers last week. And here's what we did. We looked at Acts 4. And in verse 29 and 30, I want to just read this for you again. Um, It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. God knew. We don't necessarily need to remind God of things. But it's actually a good thing when you're praying to remind God of what's happening, of what what he said. And, And it's not because he doesn't know. It's because it helps us. They said, Lord, consider their threats. And here was their prayer. Enable your servants to speak your word with great, and there was our word, boldness. They didn't ask for safety. They didn't ask for protection, for the threat to go away. They prayed that they could speak his word with boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Then they went back out into the streets And they began to preach, knowing that they were going to get themselves in trouble. They just couldn't shut up. So last week, we all stood. 
Remember, I, I, if you weren't here last week, um, I posted something on our, our Facebook and Instagram and our website that if you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. And last Sunday, if you weren't here, you, you missed a good one because we did something that was really awkward. Uh, for me, it was awkward, and I think it was awkward for many based on what I heard. We all stood, and we never, we never do stuff like this. We all stood, and we prayed that prayer that you just saw. We prayed that out loud. We prayed for boldness. We prayed for boldness to be able to speak his word. And in fact, to help you with that, on the way out, I have something for you. And you remember, I, I just said it. Of course you remember. If you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. So this is for those who are here today. I have something to remind us about our boldness. I have a little wristband, these black silicone wristband. And on one side... It says, be bold. It's embossed. It's, very, it's not real easy to see, so you don't have to be super bold. But it says, it says, be bold. And then on either side, it has our little compass and the road thing. And on the back, around the back side, it says Acts 29. And I have one for everybody, and here's the deal. Whenever we give stuff away, I have people who come out bragging. <laughs> I got three. That's not how it works. <laughs> Just so that you understand. This is, if you're here, you get one. So there'll be one for everybody on the way out. I guess if you're not super bold, you can always turn it inside out. And then there's nothing there. And people just think you're wearing a black wristband. But there's two sizes. And technically, it's adult and child. But I don't want to say that. Because I know that there's a lot of people that want the smaller size. But they don't want to pick one that says smaller. So I made labels for the, they'll be at each door on the way out in baskets, and I made labels for the door, and, and at first the labels I made said big and, and smaller. And it's like, well, we're talking about boldness. I don't want to say that. It's like less bold. So one will say big, and the other would say bold, smaller, but not less bold. <laughs> Just so that you know, it has nothing to do with that. You'll get one of those on the way out. This is not so that you have to wear it all the time. It's, I'm not even saying you have to wear it. It's a reminder to us to be able to be bold because we have a good message. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we live in the safest nation in the world and we're still scared. We're still worried. You know, everybody's got to have a helmet <laughs> and a seatbelt and, and you've got to have a lawyer and you've got to have a bunch of insurance and stuff. I'm not saying any of that's necessarily bad, but, but that kind of thing has crept into Christianity. And consequently... We're not bold. We're kind of overly sensitive. And, and I'm just, I'm telling you right at the beginning here, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Um, but if you're not a church person, maybe you're not a Christian yet, this is a great Sunday to be here. Because probably you've thought that there were just hypocrites in the church. And today, we're going to confirm your suspicion in the next few moments. And we're glad you're here to listen in on our dysfunction. So that's where we're going with this. We live in a culture where boldness, boldness about our faith costs us almost nothing. And yet we lack boldness. There was a time when the church was fueled by the conviction that everybody spent eternity somewhere. And that that choice, that decision for where you spend eternity was made in this life. And that's why we need to be bold. And that the ultimate expression of following Jesus was an unusual kind of love. Especially toward those who might kind of seem like enemies. And that's what they did from day one. If the early church, that first church, had been safety conscious, 
or rights conscious instead of bold, the message of Jesus would have disappeared within six months of the resurrection. Here's what happened. After they prayed that prayer for boldness, they spoke boldly. They spoke boldly about what they had seen, not just what they believed. And there was an outbreak of generosity. It's not on the screen, but in Acts 5, 13, it says that those who didn't believe still held the Christians in high esteem because of their lifestyle and their integrity and what they were doing. And it says multitudes were added to the church within those first couple weeks and months. And people from surrounding cities were hearing about this. The apostles were able to heal people. And they were coming from all the surrounding cities bringing their sick because they had healing power. And this is just kind of a side note for that. That's one of the things that God did at the beginning of the church was he gave them that authority, he gave them that power, and he can still heal people if he chooses to. But he did that at the beginning as a way to grab the attention of that entire Aryan world. And here's the point that so many people miss. The healing was not the point. You know how I know that? Every single person that was healed has something in common. They died. Eventually, it's not like they were healed and they're still here today living forever. It was a temporary thing because we're all dying. They were just healed to call attention to this message. The point was never the healing, the main point. The point was Jesus, always was. And the apostles were doing these things, they were preaching, and people were coming from all over, and the religious leaders became jealous. Because the religious leaders of the church there, it's not the church of the temple there, those religious leaders are used to having the authority and the power and kind of melding that with Rome a little bit and making sure that everything was okay. And all of a sudden, people weren't listening to them. People weren't coming to their thing. People were flocking after this, this whole Jesus movement. And so, becoming jealous, they took the apostles, and last week we talked about how they, they arrested two of them, and when they let them go, that's when the church prayed for boldness. This time, they arrested all, of, all 12 of them. I, I don't know if there was 12 or 11, if they'd replaced the 11th one, I can't remember. But they took all of them, and, and they threw them in jail again. So they threw them in the city jail, and their plan was to bring them out the next day and scare the Jesus out of them. Literally, that's what, you'll see, that's what they wanted to do. But while they were in jail that night, Someone, something, angels, let them out, unbeknownst to the religious leaders and even the guards. And so they got out that night. And it's very interesting because you're arrested. You don't know what's going to happen, whether they're going to kill you or what's going to happen. And the inclination is to do what? It's to run, to get out of there, to hide. You know what they did? They got out that night, got up the next morning and went to the temple and started preaching again. And the religious leaders go to the guards and the captain of the guards. Okay, guys, I want you to bring them from their cells. And they go down there and open it. And there's nobody there. Like, we don't know where they went. And then they hear that they're in the temple preaching again about Jesus. Because they have this boldness. Now, the religious leaders know that if, if we go there and, and we arrest them forcibly again, all the people are listening and they like this. And, and it says that they were afraid of being stoned. So they didn't go. I know what some of you are thinking, that's back when they did it with rocks. It was totally different. And they were very scared about that. So they didn't use force in order to do that. They kind of said, you know, you guys, you're supposed to stand before the Sanhedrin. Can you come? And, and they kind of went on their own free will. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Then they brought the apostles before the high council. Some of your translations say the Sanhedrin. Those are like the lawyers. That's the kind of the legal part of this whole 
temple situation that they had back there. And they brought them before the high council and the high priest confronted them. And the high priest was kind of, of that day, he was the guy, you know. In our family, we have this saying. Um, my, my brother-in-law is a cop. He's been a cop for like 30 years. He was is on the Minneapolis Police Force. He's now like a homicide detective. So when you see on TV the homicide stuff, he's usually always in the picture somewhere. Um, but they have literally, they have a board at the, at the, the main police headquarters that has the, the pictures of everybody and where they rank and everything. And, and we always joke because he kind of started the joke. He says, you know, my picture's high up on the board. <laughs> And it is. It's way high up on the board. This guy was way high up on the board. He was, he was the guy. And, and his word is kind of the law in this environment. And what he said goes, and everybody looked to him. And this is what he said. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. And I, that, that cracks me up. It's so interesting. They don't even want to say the name. Whose name are they preaching in? Jesus. He doesn't even want to say it. Don't teach in this man's name. Isn't it interesting that even in our culture, 2,000 years later, that name is still disruptive. It's interesting that in, in the marketplace, in, in, in sports, uh, maybe even in some of your family situations, your family members or your people around you can talk about religion, they can talk about God, but you want to have the room go silent, talk about Jesus. Just ask Tim Tebow. <laughs> everybody can say, God did this, and everybody's okay with that. You call attention to the name of Jesus and things will change. In fact, some of you here may not be church people. You may not be Christians yet. And that's kind of something for you to pay attention to. Because why is it that the name of Jesus, there is no other name that causes that kind of an uproar. It's not the same as God. It's not the same as religion. It's not the same as belief. That name is, it's, it's 2,000 years later and people still don't want to say the name of Jesus. So they tell him, you've got to quit speaking this man's name. He says, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem. That's how big this thing was becoming. You have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Now, this is really important. This is two months, about two months after the resurrection. Okay? It's not hundreds of years. Two months and the Sanhedrin and the high priest are saying to Peter, Andrew, James, John, all the guys we know as the apostles, they're saying, look, the way you tell the story, it kind of makes us look like we're guilty. This is the high priest talking. It makes us look like we're guilty for his death. And Peter's standing there thinking, um, you are. <laughs> Peter's like, remember, I'm Peter. I was here. You know, the whole denial thing, but then God brought me back and I'm back around now. And, and who are we kidding? You did put Jesus to death. That wasn't a hundred years ago. It was two months ago. And the reason it sounds like you're guilty is because you had him arrested. You had him crucified. You had him buried. And he rose again. You are guilty. And it's starting to tick him off. It's actually starting to bother Peter a little bit too. But he goes on in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. Most important thing for them. 
The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Said it again. Sorry. (laughs) But he's saying it's not a secret. We're in Jerusalem. And he could literally have gone, you know, 200 yards over that way. That's where you crucified him. It was right there. Right around the corner down the hill. That's where you buried him. That's where the tomb is empty. That nobody's been able to present a body because he rose again. You're not talking about something that happened forever ago. This was just a couple months ago. And these are recent events. And you killed him by hanging him on a cross. In verse 31, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so that people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Then here's, here's the thing. I don't want you to miss this next part. Because this is what puts Christianity in a completely different category. This is why Christianity is really the culmination of all religion. He says in verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. You see, in other words, this isn't just about something we heard. The stuff we're writing about here, he says, this isn't just something we heard. This isn't even just about something that we just believe. This is about something we saw. We are witnesses of these things. In other words, he says, what I just told you about, being crucified, him rising from the dead, we don't just believe it. We didn't just hear about it. We saw it. And he's saying, come on, people. You all know this. We were all there. We all saw it. We know these events happened right here in our city. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. So Peter, he just, he, they're just going to go about preaching every chance they get. Because this is the message that needs to be heard. And they're like a broken record. You know, round and round and round. You you don't even know what a broken record is. (laughs) I just thought of that. You said these vinyl things, and they would get skips in them, and it would just keep playing the same thing over. Never mind, I have to come up with something different there. Here's what they did. Jesus, resurrection. Jesus, resurrection. Jesus, resurrection. That's what they kept teaching over and over and over, because that was the most important thing. And it says, verse 33, when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them for many, many reasons. But it should not surprise us because two months ago they put the ringleader to death, Jesus. And so they're thinking, okay, we got rid of one. And if we get rid of these 12, maybe this whole thing will finally just come to an end. And then something really fascinating happens. I love this next part. I always have, there's, there's these next couple of verses that are like many verses in the Bible that as you're reading the Bible, some of them you just read it and you just kind of move on. This is one you don't really want to move on from yet because it's very rich. And I want you to check this out. Here's what happened next. One member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people. His name was high up on the board too. This is a guy that everybody listened to. It says, he stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So he says, guys, before we decide to execute another group of people and make 12 martyrs instead of just one, I have an idea. Ask them to step out of the room and I'll, I'll share my idea with you. So they take the apostles out and then Gamaliel addresses the Sanhedrin and the high priest and here's what he says. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. In other words, you need to think about this. And then he tells them why. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Theudas who pretended to be someone great. And about 400 others joined him. So he was leading some kind of an uprising, a rebellion of some kind. And it says he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And we don't know anything about that outside of this reference in the Bible because there, are, there isn't any other writings about this. But then he gives another illustration. And it says, after him at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. 
There's a whole bunch of things written about this guy. When they tried to, this like 35 years before this, they tried to do this census and it was just like today. They're taking a census because they want to raise the taxes. They need more money. And so they got to know who's there, how much they make, how can we tax them. And this guy, Judas of Galilee, didn't like that. He was a rebel. And it says he got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And his followers were scattered. And they could sit there and they could say, yep, they either remembered it because they were old enough or they had read about it because it was just common knowledge. And so he says, Gamaliel says, um, so my advice is leave these men alone. You see, what happened back there was they realized with those two other examples, if they would have stepped up and joined this side of the argument, this side would be really mad. If they joined this side of the argument, this side would be really mad. And if it would have come down a different way, they could be on the wrong side of things. So they say, sometimes it's better for us to just step back and let's see what happened. And he said, here's my advice. Leave them alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, like the two other examples he gave, it will soon be overthrown. Saying, don't worry about it. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you may even find yourselves fighting against God. And the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. And when we read that passage, we go on to the next verse. You know what flogging is. Most people didn't know what flogged meant until they saw The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it, it's a really, really hard movie to watch. But you need to see it. Most of us didn't know what flogged really was. Flogged was, oh, they were whipped. And then we move on. Flogged was, oh, they were beaten and let go. You know, flogged in some cases was the death sentence, wasn't it? because of how bad it was. Flogged was a cat of nine tails, the whip with, with the nine lashes of leather on it that they would tie pieces of wood and pieces of metal or bone and pieces of things that we would consider glass tied into the end of those strips and the person was beaten until the skin was pulled off their stomach and back. And for several hours, the apostles stood in line and watched as the temple guard flogged permanently scarred the bodies of their closest friends for talking about something they had seen. Every time they would change shirts for the rest of their life, every time they'd go swimming, every time they'd bathe, they would have a visual reminder of that day. So how would you respond to something like that? You see, the the temptation, you read this verse and we just want to move on to the next verse. This was ours. This was like half the day This was listening to your closest friend wince and possibly cry out or scream out in pain and knowing you're next because of something you said you saw. You see, if it were us, the thought of this would have probably been the end and the message of Christianity would never move beyond the first century. But I want you to listen to their response because it says, then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus they, and they let them go. And you ready for this? Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing. And I read that and it's like, wait, wait, what? You've just been flogged. You are permanently disfigured. For the rest of your life, people will see these scars and they'll know at least to some extent you're a criminal. They'll know that. And it says they left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Think about the things that we gripe about as Christians. 
Have you ever had the privilege, the privilege of losing something because of your faith or your boldness? Some of you have. Some have lost family. Some have lost friends. Some have lost opportunity at work. Some have lost inheritance, but most have not. And yet, we are afraid to be bold. And this is the part where I was actually tempted to read some of the stories of what other Christians are going through in the world today. In, in the many, many countries where Christianity is outlawed and where they are being horrendously persecuted. They're being driven from their homes. They're having their homes destroyed. Churches are being burned. People are being marked physically so that they can be persecuted, so that everybody can look at them and know they're a Christian and they're losing their families. In some cases, in many cases, they're losing their lives, not just their livelihoods. I could tell you story after story after story, but here's the problem with that. Their circumstances are so extreme beyond where we're living that we go, wow, and then we go have lunch because we just can't fathom that. Oh, did you hear those amazing stories? Wow, I can look more of those up and we can see it. And, and we don't relate that to us. It says, verse 42, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. That's after being beaten and told never to use that name again. They went right back to the temple every day. From temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus is the Anointed One. He is who He said He was. And I think of that, and I think it's kind of embarrassing to have as much freedom as we have, to have the kind of freedom that we have, to have the kind of churches that we have, and still so little boldness. What happened to us? What happened to us as a church in this country? I'll tell you what I think happened. We are so extraordinarily blessed. Instead of being grateful and good stewards of the blessing, we've kind of allowed it to strip us of our boldness. I'm not an exception. This is very convicting to me. This is why as I began to pray, I always thank God. But I now thank God, and then I ask Him for the boldness to talk about something serious with people. Because of the name. Because of Jesus. So it's easy for me to say this, and we would go, yeah, that's what we need to do. Let's go home. But you know, we're practical here. We want to do the YBH, the yes, but how. But before we do the yes, but how, we have to do the YBNH today. That's the yes, but not how. Okay? I have some very good friends who, um, in this very short video clip, are going to show us the YBNH. So watch closely. Sorry I'm late. No, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Mm. Coffee is hot. Isn't that the worst? Oh, I just burnt my tongue. You know what? You think that's hot? You gotta try that burn like 10 billion times worse all over your entire body as you fall into the pits of hell because you haven't surrendered your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. Huh? <laughs> that's a burn you won't get over. <laughs> Saved you a cookie. That would definitely be the YBNH, the yes but not how. Those two main characters there are, are they're good friends of ours. We see their stuff all the time, Tommy and Eddie from the Skit Guys. But you might not know their story. 
And so I have a very short clip that I want to show you that, that talks about the same thing, not hell over coffee, but talks about the same thing with Tommy and Eddie. Watch this next clip. I was a freshman in college the first time I invited someone to church. My best buddy called me. I was working at a grocery store. I was in the back cutting carrots, and my buddy called me. And I just said, hey, do you want to go to church with me tonight? And uh, I remember his words. He said, sure, I got nothing better to do. And I went to church with him. And, you know, I went there because they were serving pizza that night. Um, I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what was sung. During the services, I remember praying for him and just asking God to please reach out and touch his heart or do something because I knew he needed Jesus. And then um, God answered my prayers. That night changed my life, September 17th, 1987. It changed my life because I realized I needed a Savior. It's a bold thing to talk to your best friend and say, you want to come to church with me? Can you imagine how life would be different for them had he not done that? There wouldn't be a skit, guys. There'd be a skit guy, and it wouldn't be like half as funny. But he would have never heard the good news because he was bold enough to take that step to say, hey, would you go to church with me? Or whatever the step needs to be, that was that particular step. So here's what I'd like to do. For the yes, but how, I'd like to share with you just a couple baby steps because we're kind of babies in this. I get that. I'm saying me too. So I'm going to share just three baby steps that we can do, and they, they kind of progress. But the first one is this, to be, to be bold. To be bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. There's a situation you're, you're, you're in your family, you know. I could tell you story after story. I could use names, but I'm not going to use names because I haven't cleared it with them. But I know of a number of times when um, students in our student ministry here, whether youth group or the kids, the kids ministry, they've been coming. Things have been happening in their lives. And they invited their parents to come to church. That's a bold thing. Their parents came and got saved. And their life changed, is changing. Their family is going to change. It's going to be a generational change because a kid had the boldness to ask his parents to go to church. Because it would have been easier to say nothing. You're part of a conversation and you could say something and you know that it would be a good thing, but you're scared. Boldness is to say something when it would be easier to say nothing, to invite the parent, a friend, or family member, or coworker. The next step, the next baby step, bold is taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. God brings somebody along your path and it's almost always because the person is going through something. They're hurting for some reason. There's a, there's a big change in their life. That's when those kind of decisions get made because they're looking for something. And boldness is taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves because people need hope. There are so many people in your sphere of influence that have no hope. And God wants you to take advantage of the circumstances and the opportunities that present themselves by being bold. We are not talking about the yes, but not how. You're going to burn in hell forever. That's not what they need to hear. They don't need to hear you expound every word of the Bible because you don't know it either. <laughs> Do you know it never says that our job is to defend God? God can kind of defend himself. <laughs> What it does tell us to do is to be ready always to give an answer for the hope 
that we have. You're not required to answer all their questions. What God wants you to do is share the hope. And when the circumstances present themselves, when the opportunity is there, boldness is just taking advantage of that. And here's the thing. I know some of you prayed for boldness last week and opportunities presented themselves. And I'm not going to ask you to stand and say, did you do that when it presented itself or not? But you know that you prayed for it. and You can look back and say, yeah, that was an opportunity. And I miss that. So it's deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. It's taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. And then the third one takes another step. It's creating those opportunities. Because you know that this is not a religious thing. It has nothing to do with church. It has to do with eternal destiny. This is life and death issues. And why do we lack boldness? Some of us have forgotten the difference that Jesus made in our lives. We just forgot what it was like to be without hope, to wonder, where do I stand with God? Some of us, some have been followers of Jesus for so long that you don't even feel like you've known life without hope. Never wondered where you stood with God. And you forget that's not the case for the people around you. That you maybe never gone to a funeral where there was just total loss and no hope. Some of us have just been distracted by life. Too busy, too much going on. God answered all our prayers, we're safe. Because that's what we pray for all the time. So it's time that if you're a follower of Jesus, we pray for boldness. It's time we start looking for opportunities. That's what made the church a movement and not an institution. That's where God shows up. I mean, seriously, are you sorry that somebody told you about Jesus? Are you sorry that someone invited you to church or gave you a Bible or kept slipping you books or, you know, CDs or or links to the website that had the free sermons on it or praying for you? Aren't you glad that he didn't give up when you rejected? Aren't you glad that she was bold enough to ask? Found people find people. If you aren't a church person, If you're not a follower of Jesus and you wonder, why can't Christians just leave people alone? Good news. Most Christians do just that. You're around Christians all the time and you don't even know it. They're undercover Christians. (laughs) They're secret. Nobody knows. But then there's a group of us who believe John 3.16. It's up on the screen. For God so loved the world. See, that's where it all starts. It always starts there. It doesn't start with us. It starts with God. He loved us so much that he did something. We were lost in our sin. There was nothing we could do to merit heaven or salvation or abundant life here. And because he loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son. That's what fueled the beginning of this movement called the church. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son that whoever goes to church every Sunday and gives money to the church and goes out as a missionary and wears the right clothes and does the right thing, that's not what it says. It says he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, we still believe that these are eternal choices that we're making now. It's not about I did a little bit more good or a little bit more bad, 
almost everybody I talk to says, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. It's like, yeah, you're not going to be. It's like they're, they're, they're weighing it into balance. I've done more good than bad. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? You get to heaven, you stand before God, and he says, shall I let you in? Let's look at all the bad stuff you've done, all the good stuff you've done, and the bad stuff outweighs it. He says, by one. And you're like, man, if I wouldn't have called Susie that bad name in third grade, I'd be going to heaven right now. That's how ridiculous that is. We can't earn our way to heaven. Jesus paid it all. We believe that something happened 2,000 years ago that happened for the benefit of everybody. God revealed himself in the person of Jesus on the cross. He did that as a culmination of all religion. All those religious rules that we have all broken would be forgiven through him. You see, he didn't come for church people. He came for people, people. He came to remove the sting of your greatest fear, death. He came to offer a solution to your question, but what about sin? He came to bring dignity to everybody from every race. He came to clarify that every person you ever meet is important to God. Every person you ever lock eyes with is a person who he loved, who he created in his image, and who he died for, and who he wants to have a relationship with. And if your experience with Christians has been less than that, I'm sorry. Because we are supposed to be the kindest, most accepting, hardest working, integrity-filled human beings on the planet. To the point that even if you didn't want to be one, you would want to hire one or work for one or marry one because that's the kind of reputation that they have. If we'd been doing our job, things would be different. But we got busy. We got distracted. And we got safe. And I'm sorry. But we hope that in spite of us, that you may someday know the risen Savior Jesus in a personal way. Because he's standing there today with open arms. You can still see the scars there. And he's saying, I loved you so much, I gave up everything for you. I died to pay the price for your sin because the wages of sin is death. And if you accept me, you get into heaven on my ticket. You don't accept me and you pay for it by eternal separation from God. But Jesus said, this is free. You believe that God sent me for you, that I died for you, that I rose again and received me. And then we get the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. We should have a bold message. And if you don't know that Jesus, that's why you're here today. That's him whispering in your ear saying, that's why I brought you here. I want to have a relationship with you. I love you. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I know that there are many times that uh, we who know Jesus as Savior that have stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, we're just not bold in that. We're scared. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. And Father, we don't want to be offensive. But we want to show them the hope that we have is because of Jesus. And I pray, Father, for those here who have accepted Jesus as Savior, who are followers of him, that our prayer would be for boldness like that first church. That we would see this as not a building, but a movement 
not a monument. That we would see you working again in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And Father, for anybody listening to this today, it's been about church, religion, and rules and regulations and rituals for them. That this morning would be the morning they realize it's about a relationship with a God who loved me so much he sent Jesus to die for me so that I could have that relationship with him. And that in simple faith, anybody here who has never met Jesus would just say, using their own words in the quietness of their own heart, Jesus, I know that my sin has separated me from God. I know that you paid the price for that on the cross. You rose again to prove that everything you said was true. I believe that, and I receive you as my own Savior. Take over, take control, give me the boldness that I need to share that hope with other people. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. And when you believe and receive Jesus as Savior, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And greater is the one living in us than the one living in the world. One of the things that we've done, Julie and I, over the decades is we have continually prayed, God, just don't do something for me. Do something in me and through me. And as we have prayed for boldness over the decades in and through the years, you know what? He has also done more for us than we could have ever asked or imagined. That's how it works. One of the most famous sermons of all time, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. A couple verses from that in the message paraphrase, I just love the way it says it. Jesus says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. How cool is that? God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I make you light bearers. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on the hilltop, on the light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. We have a message of hope that we can share. If you today, for the first time, in the quietness of your own heart, as we prayed, ask Jesus to be your Savior, please share that. Jesus is not a secret to keep. (laughs) Jesus is the solution. And if you claimed him a Savior, I'm going to ask you to share that with somebody, but I'm going to ask you to grab one of these communication cards. I don't know if they're all this color, but back on the welcome desk by the joy box. We don't take an offering. We have a box back there. Put your information on this and let me know that you accepted Jesus. We want to share you. We want to help you. If you need a Bible, we can get you a Bible. But let us know that. I know there's something I'm forgetting. Bracelets. Bracelets. I had it in my hand and I still forgot. Be bold and pick up a bracelet. Remember, there's two sizes, big and smaller, although not less bold. It's still bold. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us so much you demonstrated it by sending Jesus, that you paid for our sins on the cross, that you rose again to to prove that everything you said was true and all we have to do is believe and receive Jesus as our Savior. That we can have that power in us, helping us every day, and I pray that we would be able to tap into that power to be bold for you. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.